Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. My church just about killed me a few years back. Very similar to you guys, we planted, and just like Darren, I was way too young to do it, and it was crazy. Church planting is kind of a cross between like starting a small business and World War III. And the first year was a ton of work, but it was so fun. Second year was, you know, a ton of work, um, and it was really hard, but it was still good. The third year was just really hard, that's all. And by the fourth year, I was dying. And by dying, I mean like on the edge of a nervous breakdown in my late 20s, just really in a bad spot, on edge, anxious, stressed out all the time, could not sleep well, was on edge with my wife on a regular basis. I was generally unhappy. And a huge part of my problem was that I love my job. So I'm a workaholic by nature. And in our culture, and I'm not sure exactly what it's like in Long Beach, but at least where I live, you know, the workaholic thing is not only not thought of as a sin in our culture, but if anything, it's thought of as a virtue. I mean, if you ask somebody, hey, how are you? What do people usually say? I'm good, but busy, right? That's what almost, how's it going? Oh, good, but I'm so busy, because busy has become a moniker for important in our culture. So what we mean is I'm cool, people are into me, I'm busy, you know? (laughs) When was the last time you asked somebody, hey, how are you? You know, just so bored lately. I just watch a lot of Netflix, and I just kind of do nothing that really matters at all, and, but the weather's great. You know, like we don't, even if that's true, you're like, that is my life, but you don't say that. You say busy, and we're busy with all sorts of things. You know, we're busy with work. Um, 40 hours a week is a thing of the past. 86% of Americans work over 45 hours a week now, and a lot of that's due to labor-saving devices such as the smartphone that most of you have in your pocket right now. I remember back in the day, I'm just old enough to remember when, if you have an office kind of a knowledge job, you used to actually have to go to the office to do your job. It was like back in the 90s. Some of you don't know anything about that. Now all you have to do is roll over and unlock your phone in the morning and the office comes to you. And so statistically, we're working more hours than ever before. The Japanese have this phrase, kuroshi, and it means death by overwork. I just love, we need to bring that phrase into English vernacular. But here's the thing, Americans work 137 hours more per year than the Japanese, 260 more hours per year than the British, and of course, 499 more hours per year than the French. (laughs) Naturally. So we work statistically more than any other nation in the world. So we're busy with work, but then we're also busy with play, right? In particular, if you're in an urban context and the LA Basin or somewhere like here, there's just so much to do and drink and eat and see and surf and hike and be and experience. There's so much out there, we feel like we have to do it all. And so what happens is we overfill our life with work and email and our smartphone and social media and friends out and a night out in the town, and community group, and church, and justice, and the garden, and thing after thing after thing, and we speed up to this frenetic, kind of nonstop, 90 mile per hour pace where we're always busy. How you doing busy? How you doing busy? How you doing busy? And it does something to us at a soul level. One of my heroes was this dude from Southern California, a philosopher by the name of Dallas Willard, and he called busy the greatest enemy of spiritual life. 
busyness is the greatest enemy of spiritual life because there is a kind of busyness that goes past our schedule and into our inner being. So a number of years ago, I was in this spot. I was just so like unhappy. I was no longer enjoying the job that I used to love. And uh, the turning point, or kind of for me honestly, was I started to hear and get wind of this ancient practice called the Sabbath. And so I started to read up on it, and then I started to play with it a little bit with my wife and family. And honestly, as I started to grow and mature into this practice, it changed everything for me, kind of from the ground up. So I just want to walk you through kind of the Sabbath as I see it in the scriptures this morning. So let's start in Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bible or your phone open. That opening line is, in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. And if you skip down to the end of chapter 1, so from the first verse to the last, God saw all that he had made and it was what? Oh, man, it was Southern California beautiful. It was so nice. There was evening and there was morning. There was sixth day. So for six days in this story, however you want to read the days, God is hard at work. He's creating the sun, the moon, the stars, the coffee bean, the sun, which we don't really see up where I live, but the beach, the ocean, you, the human body, everything that we look out at today and think, man, that is so good was all started in God's genius and his creative imagination. Then, of course, as his magnum opus, he creates human to rule over his brand new world. So if you think your week was productive, just read Genesis 1. <laughs> then, watch what happens next, because this next part is, I just think, such a, an unexpected twist. That, thus, all the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day... God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made this day holy, because on it he rested, God re from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested. Did you see that in the text? God rested. Yeah, but I'm kind of type A, and I have a hard capacity. No, God yeah, but I'm a pat, God, God rested. This word rest is Shabbat in Hebrew. Can you say that? Well done. It's where we get the word Sabbath. And it more literally means to stop or to cease or just to be done. The idea here isn't that God was you know, tired or worn out. It's more like that feeling you get after a long, hard day's work where you pull up a chair, look over all that you've done, and you think to yourself, man, that's not bad. The idea here is a day set aside for delight. You know, we think we've so lost, at least in the church in the West, our just high value for delight, even our capacity for delight, that I think often we only think delight can be had from sin, which is such a gross misreading of life in the kingdom of the heavens. There's no better time to delight in God and his world and our place and life in it than on the Sabbath. In fact, this word Shabbat can also be translated to celebrate. The idea behind the Sabbath is an entire day set aside just to celebrate the world. February and it's 70, well right now it's like 40 degrees in this room, I'm freezing, but it's going to be, I believe in faith, based on scientific evidence, it's going to be hot and beautiful this afternoon. Which for you is like a day in the life. You don't understand where I'm from, how depressing it is right now. You don't even understand. Darren's like, hey, will you come down in February? Yes. Yes. 
Can I come down every February? Is that a, is that a thing? I need to really do good today so I get an invite back next winter. Um, so it's a day to celebrate the world, to celebrate our life in it, family, friends, the time in which we live, and of course, more than anything, God himself. The Sabbath is a day when God has my rapt attention, when I tune out kind of all the noise and distraction, and I tune into the reality of God who's as close as the air against my skin. The Sabbath is a day when I'm fully available to my family and my friends. Today for me, where my phone is off, my email is closed, and I don't care who you are, you can't get a hold of me. It's a day when I have no to-do list, I don't accomplish a thing, and I don't feel guilty about it. It's a day to reconnect not only with my body but with my soul and to wake up to all that is good and beautiful and true in the world. It is a day to celebrate. It is a day for delight. And God in this story worked for six days and then he rested for one. And here's what I want you to see. In doing so, God built a rhythm into the fabric of creation a six-and-one kind of rhythm. If you think about it, pretty much every society on the face of the earth, Christian or not, runs on a seven-day cycle. It's absolutely fascinating. Your body, your brain, the neurochemistry in your system, your emotional life, the economy, the ecology of planet Earth itself, all of it, it's like it was set up to live in this cycle, this rhythm of six days on, one day off. For six days we work, we work hard, we wrestle with the earth to eke out a living, but then on the Sabbath we stop, we cease, we be done, we celebrate, we delight. Now before we move on, there's just two things I want you to see actually right here in the text if your Bible is still open. First off, notice that God blessed the seventh day. So if you've ever read Genesis before, maybe you know this, in Genesis one and two, God blesses three things. First, he blesses animals. He says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Then he blesses human beings, and he says the exact same thing, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. But then he blesses the Sabbath. How odd is that? So he blesses animals, then he blesses human beings, then he blesses a day? I mean, what exactly is going on with that? Well, the idea here is that the Sabbath has a life-giving ability to fill the earth up with more life, just like an animal or a human being, to make more life. I mean, if you think about it, life is tiring. Even when your life is good, even if you love your job, which is like 10 of you, even if you love your job, at the end of the week, you know, you're worn out, you're tired, but rest does something to it, refills you with creativity, with energy, maybe even with this thing called optimism, with hope, with joy, with vision, with strength. Rest is life-giving, why? Because God blessed the seventh day. Second thing I want you to notice is that God blessed the seventh day and quote, made it holy. It's a fascinating line, made it holy. Um, the rabbis, if you ever read any Jewish literature, talk a lot about this hermeneutic idea called the principle of first mention. And basically all it means is that the first time you read a word or a phrase in the library that is scripture, it's almost like a definition. It kind of sets the stage for how you ought to read that word or phrase or idea all the way through. And I'm not sure if that's right or not, but I think they are onto something. And the first time, this is what's fascinating to me, the first time you ever read the word holy is right here in Genesis chapter two. And what does God make holy? A time. 
How weird is that? Time. This is fascinating, in particular because of when this was written and where. This is the ancient Near East. So if you live in ancient Mesopotamia or Babylon or Egypt or whatever, the gods were found in the world of space. Your god or your goddess or whoever was found in a temple or on a mountaintop or in a shrine or a holy whatever. You would think that God would make a holy temple or a holy mountain or a holy shrine of some kind, but instead God makes a holy day. The Jewish writer Abraham Joshua Heschel puts it this way, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Some people build a gigantic cathedral. In this tradition, you set aside a day. He called the seventh day architecture in time. Because for this God, the one that we worship, the one true creator God, well, the entire cosmos is his temple. You can't locate him in a building or on top of a mountain. Every God is everywhere that is. And so he's found not on the top of a mountain or in a temple, but he's found not so much in the world of space, but in the world of time, because he's with you everywhere you go. It's about waking up to his nearness moment by moment. So there is a day that is blessed and that is holy. And the Sabbath stands as an invitation from the creator to the creation, from God to human beings made in the image of God. We are invited to step into this rhythm to mirror and mimic what God is like to the world. He works for six days, so we work for six days. He rests for one, and so we do the same. And when we don't take God up, take God up on his offer, when we don't step into this kind of rhythm that God set up from the beginning of time, when we fight this instead, we reap the consequences. I don't care how type A you are, how much you love your job, or what excuse you have. I have a family, I have little kids, whatever it is, we reap the consequences. We become emotionally unhealthy, fatigue, exhaustion, burnout, stress. It has a an effect on our body, our immune system worn down, we get tired, we get sick, we, it has an effect on our mind, we don't think as well, our creativity goes down, our intelligence goes down, and more than anything, it has a devastating effect on our soul. We end up empty and hollow and disconnected, not only from God, but even from ourself. These are the results of a life without rest. Which is why, as the story goes on, we actually see God command his people to Sabbath. So turn over with me to Exodus, if you have your Bible, just a few pages to the right. Um, Fast forward from Adam and Eve in the garden, now we're into Israel, if you know the story of God, out in the desert, en route from Egypt to this whole new land of freedom. And en route, there is a fascinating story about Israel and the Sabbath, where I think we pick up a few new details that at least for me are helpful. So if you're in Exodus 16, let's start off in verse nine. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, so this is for everybody, come before Yahweh for he has heard your grumbling. When Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert. There was the glory of Yahweh, or God's presence, appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am Yahweh your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, listen to this. This is a weird story, but it's fascinating. Thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, manna in Hebrew, which is a word meaning, what is it? What should we call this? Let's call it, what is it? For they, it's funny, by the way. It's okay to laugh. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. 
This is why the Lord has commanded everyone is to gather as much as you need. Take an omer, it's a unit of measurement. For each person, take a ton you have in your tent. Now, skip down to 21. Each morning, here's the story, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. But on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what Yahweh commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of what? Sabbath rest. A, listen to this language, holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, but save whatever is left and keep it until morning because tomorrow you chill, it's your day off. This language is fascinating to me, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. This word holy can be translated set apart for, or I think a better translation is dedicated to the Lord. That's the idea. The Sabbath is a day, an entire 24-hour time period, that is dedicated to God, and this is the key. It's not just a day for rest, it's also a day for worship. So it's not just, hey, we're over busy and it's the digital age and we live in an urban context or whatever, so take a day off and sleep in and watch a movie and go to the beach and enjoy life one day a week. Don't have to work all the time. That's only half of the conversation. The other half, in particular for you and me as followers of Jesus, is this is a day for worship, to reconnect not only with your body and your soul and your family or friends, but to reconnect with the God who made you. So when I Sabbath, I run every activity that I think about through this grid. Is this rest and is this worship? If the answer to both is yes, heck yeah, go for it, delight. If the answer to one or two is no, or kind of, but not really, then I hold off, not because it's a bad thing, but because there are six other days for that. There are six other days to watch that movie or do that thing or run by that shop or buy that whatever. There are six other days for that. Today is a day for rest and for worship. Because the Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off and you need to make sure that you get the difference. On a day off, at least in American culture, you don't work for your employer, unless if you have a smartphone, but you don't work for your employer, but you still work. You run errands, you go to the bank, if you have a yard, you take care of it, whatever, you do stuff around your apartment, you clean, you do all the work that you don't get paid for, and you buy and you sell, it's what we do here in America, like we work all week, and then we go buy stuff with whatever money we made, and so you go to that boutique, you watch a movie, you go to Ikea, and then six hours later, you're done, whatever, <laughs> that's, and we play, right? That, that's a day off in America, and it's a fantastic thing that we have here, but it's not a Sabbath. On the Sabbath, we rest and we worship, and that's it. This idea, I think, is so foreign to our culture. I mean, it is just like 180 degrees from everything that we grow up in, which is why I think that here it's commanded. So keep reading a couple more lines, 24. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it, which is always a plus. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath, here's that language again, to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. God has just set it up this way. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it anyway, but they found how much? None. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? I love that Moses gets in trouble for all the people. 
Bear, poor guy, man, seriously. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out and work and run around. So all the people rested on the seventh day. I Meaning it wasn't natural. People had to get into, these people days before were slaves in Egypt, a system that was all about accomplishment and accumulation, seven days a week, 365 days a year, no rest. That's the world that Israel is coming out of, and that's the world that you and I live in and call home. And so it's not always like this quick, easy transition from nonstop go, go, go to six on, one off, work and rest, this whole new way to be human. Israel was slow to get it, but over time started to settle into this new rhythm. And I just want you to see when God is upset and he's angry, come on, Israel, get with the program. Notice what God says. I have given you the Sabbath. The idea here is that the Sabbath is not only a command, it's also a gift from God saying, hey, here, for you, an entire day, rest, worship, enjoy, here. There's all sorts of debate kind of now, millennia later in our world, about whether or not the Sabbath command still stands uh, for you and I as followers of Jesus on this side of the resurrection. Um, most people say, no, it doesn't. There's no command in the New Testament to keep the Sabbath. Uh, interesting, there are, of the Ten Commandments, it's the only one that does not show up again in the New Testament. And uh, most people say, hey, that was kind of back then, not now, it was part of the Torah or whatever. Then others say, uh, that's an argument from silence. The Sabbath is still one of the Ten Commandments. We like still don't murder or commit adultery or whatever. And the Sabbath predates the Torah or the law of Moses. I mean, even this story right here in Exodus 16 is before we even get to the Ten Commandments, much less all of the Torah. It's in Genesis 1 from the very beginning of the story. And so people go back and forth and debate and argue. And I'm not really even sure what I think. I think my opinion is that, yeah, as followers of Jesus, we're free in the sense that it's not sin if you work seven days a week or you work 10 days in a row or whatever. But I still think it stands as a gift, and there's no way around it. It still stands as wisdom. It's the way God set up the world to thrive. So there's no command in the New Testament that says you need to sleep seven or eight hours a night. Like if you wanna just run on four or five, you're welcome to. You're gonna be a miserable, unhappy, grouchy person, but God's not mad at you. He just thinks you're kinda of dumb, but whatever. <laughs> you're welcome, well, hopefully he doesn't, but you're welcome to. You know, there's no command in the New Testament that says thou shalt not drink more than, you know, 25 cups of coffee a day. Like if you go ahead, like you can, you're gonna end up in a mental institution and it's not all that intelligent, but, but you're welcome to. It's not sin, it's just, it's not wisdom. And so in whatever category you wanna put it, command or wisdom, it still stands as a gift, as the way that God set up your body, your soul, and even your community to thrive. But tragically, I think over the millennia, this gift has gone by the wayside, in part because it's just un-American, right? We know how to work, we know how to, we know how to hustle in America, and we know how to play. We, like are, we invented the weekend, I think, literally. I think we actually did. We're really good at work, we're really good at play, but rest and worship, that's like speaking a foreign language. So I think part of it's because it's simply un-American, but then I think also part of it, and I just wanna address this before we wrap up, is because of a misreading of Jesus. So really fast, turn over to the Gospel of Mark. 
If you've ever known, if you've ever read the four Gospels, Matthew or Mark in particular or Luke or John, you've read about Jesus, you know that um, for Jesus, the Sabbath was essentially a day to get in trouble. You know that? You know what I'm saying? So Jesus was most definitely not a people pleaser, okay? Like he just was, I, I imagine this Jesus as funny and gracious and kind and a little bit ornery, you know? So here he is in Mark chapter 2. Let's start off in verse 23. One Sabbath, this is just kind of a day in the life story, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn, essentially a snack kind of in the middle of the day. Now the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful in, on the Sabbath? Now the backstory here, um, there's no law in the Torah, if you've ever read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's no law in the Old Testament that says you're not allowed to snack on the Sabbath, Okay. All that the Torah says is don't work on the Sabbath. So if you go read the Ten Commandments, don't do any kind of work on the Sabbath. But here's the problem. Work is not as easy to, as to define as you would think, right? So what exactly is work? Some things are clearly work, but what about, what about cooking dinner? Is that work? What about cleaning up the dishes? Is that work? What about exercise? Some of you, I'm a runner. Some of you love to exercise. Other of you, it's like hell. So like what... Is, is a morning run on the Sabbath, is that work? Is it not? It's not, you see, it's a bit ambiguous. Some things are crystal clear and other things are not. And so the rabbis and the Pharisees in particular had this whole system that they call building a fence around the law. So they'd take a law or command that's actually in what we call the Old Testament, what they called the Torah, the Bible of the day, and they would say a command like Sabbath and don't work, and then they would build a fence around it. They would add like all sorts of other commands. So you can only walk this far on the Sabbath. That's why to this day, uh, a Jewish community, Orthodox Jewish community, all has to live within it forget, I think it's three quarters of a mile of the synagogue because you can't walk more than that on the Sabbath and you can't carry more than this weight and you can't eat more than this and you can't cook this way and law after law after law after law and it's not necessarily a bad thing. The heart was really to follow God but what happened is over time, the Pharisees lost the plot line and this is what happens. We take these beautiful, healthy practices of life in the kingdom of God Something like Sabbath or prayer or reading of the scriptures or community or Sunday worship. These good, beautiful, true things. And, And what happens is over time we lose the heart behind it and it becomes this cold, legalistic, religious duty. And everything is kind of lost in translation. So that's the world that Jesus is dealing with. Now watch what happens, 25. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And it goes into this kind of obscure story that most of you don't know about, but if you were a first century Jew, you would have known really well. Then skip down to 27. Then he said to them, this is the kind of apex of his thing, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Or in today's language, the Sabbath was made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. So the son of man, that's Jesus' name for himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, you have a little bit of an idea of the context of kind of this legalistic, religious, hyper-conservative culture that had lost the plot line around this art form that we call Sabbath. And so Jesus had to say to first century Jews, hey, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And first century Jews needed to hear the first part of that sentence. I'm sorry, the second part of that sentence. 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You've lost the plot line. But I would argue that for you and me in the 21st century, it's exactly the opposite. I would argue that we need to hear the first half of that sentence. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for human beings because both are true and we have the exact opposite problem as Jesus' context. It's not that we have hundreds of rules and regulations around the Sabbath and we're all caught up in legalism. It's that we have no rules at all, not one. Most of us, most followers of Jesus, at least in the US, don't even keep a Sabbath at all. Day off, sure, kind of. Sabbath, rest, worship, 24-hour period. Most people don't even practice Sabbath at all. It's not that we're all caught up and tied down by legalism when it comes to the Sabbath. Maybe that was a thing back in the 50s, but most of you weren't alive then, so you can't say that, all right? Most of us don't have any structure at all. And I think we need the Sabbath more than ever before. And I, I don't live in Long Beach, and so I don't want to assume that I know what life is like here. I've been here for all of, you know, a day. But I think we need this more than ever before. The busyness of urban life, all the noise, all the traffic, the nonstop chaos that we live in. The busyness of the digital age. How many of you have a smartphone? Exactly. Remember this thing that back in the 90s, some of you are, are most of you are too young to remember that. Some of you all remember the 90s. Remember when we used to get bored? Yeah. <laughs> it was a thing. Remember like we used to stand in line? Remember that? And I, I did it last night because yesterday was my, my Sabbath and usually I just leave my, I take my phone off for all Sabbath and it ends for me Sabbath dinner and I usually keep it off until Sunday morning. So I went out to see a movie. I went out to see Star Wars for the fifth time last night because it's just... <laughs> That's a whole other sermon series right there. But, um, and so I'm standing in line down at the theater, and I was in line for like 15 minutes with no phone. It was horrible. <laughs> it's excruciating. I didn't tweet. I didn't post anything. I didn't read the news. I didn't like search Yelp review. Nothing. I just sat there bored. Remember that? That like used to be life. We don't do that anymore. It's non-stop. The digital age is just a fascinating time to be alive. It's 24-7, it never ends. But we were not created to live 24-7, at best to live 24-6. So I would argue that we need the Sabbath more now than ever before. And here's why, watch what happens next, we'll end here. Another time Jesus went, this is the next chapter, into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And I think you're supposed to read these two stories together. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, hey, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Did you know, this story is one of many, that the majority of Jesus' healings take place on the Sabbath? Now, that could be a coincidence. That, that was just when everybody was there at the synagogue, that, that could be a coincidence. But my guess is it's not. Why? Because I think that the Sabbath is a day for healing. 
that Jesus does some of his best work on the Sabbath. I think that was true in the first century, and I think it's true today. So um, all I'm saying to you this morning, this is not like a hard thing to wrap your head around, is take a Sabbath. Take one. Like every week. (laughs) Not one. By one, I mean, yeah. You're like, yeah, that one time. It was fantastic. No. Practice Sabbath. Not a day off. You have a day off too? If you work five days a week, that's fantastic. But take a Sabbath. When? Whenever works for you. Don't get hung up on the time. For most of you, Sunday is the best day. For me, Sunday's a work day, so I actually Sabbath Friday night to Saturday afternoon. That's what works great for me and my family. I don't really think when matters, but take a 24-hour time period. Block it off. I would encourage you to turn off your phone, put your stuff away, settle in to a 24-hour period of rest worship. I mean, I'm telling you, the Sabbath for me and for my wife and for my three kids is hands down, nine times out of 10, the best day of the week. Friday afternoons is flurry of activity and we get ready and we go to the grocery store and we clean the house and we answer emails and all of that stuff and we power everything off, we put everything away, we light a candle, we sit around the table with the kids, we read a psalm, we pour the wine, We invite the Holy Spirit to come. We eat, and we just kind of don't stop eating for the next 24 hours. It's fantastic. (laughs) I have three little kids who just love Sabbath, who can't really keep track of times every day. Is it Sabbath yet? Is it Sabbath yet? Is tomorrow Sabbath? Is tomorrow? No, it was yesterday, Moses, you know. Uh, But my kids just love it. We're just together. We're present. There's no distraction. There's no media. There's no video games. There's no text messaging. It's just us and Jesus. We rest, we go to bed early, we still sleep in the next morning, and we eat more, we eat donuts, we make brunch, we be together as a family. I'm an introvert, so I just love to read for hours and go on walks and be with Jesus. My wife's an extrovert, so she goes and has coffee with her best friend, and the kids play Legos, and we're just together and with Jesus. And something happens every, every Sabbath. It's like a few hours in, maybe the next morning, Saturday morning for me, this weird, there's always this weird moment and it's like I get my soul back. I'm not sure if that's just the cathartic effect of you know, weekly, really good rest. But my guess is it's something more, that Jesus is there in that moment. He's healing my body. He's healing my soul. As I reconnect with what really matters, as I fight off the enemy of hurry and busyness, the great enemy of spiritual life, as I wake up to the God who's been with me all week long, but half the time I've just been oblivious to. You know, I'll end with this. Jesus said that in this great line, Jesus usually wasn't like a, a sales pitch kind of guy. It was more like, you want to follow me? Come and die. It was like just very, <laughs> like, it just had huge need for a PR person, you know? <laughs> but one of the few, like, just really compelling invitations of Jesus was this line, um, there's a few variations, but I'm thinking of John 10 here, where Jesus said, the thief, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. And a thief is symbolic just for so many things. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Life and have it to the full. Whereas the writer John later rephrases it in one of his letters in the New Testament, the life that is truly life. There's a lot of people who are alive but aren't living. There's a lot of followers of Jesus who are alive but not living, who are breathing 
but don't have the life that is truly life. Who go to church, who are decent people, who read the Bible in the morning, but don't have the life that Jesus has on offer. And I'm sure there are all sorts of reasons for that. But sometimes I think we make it way too complex. I wonder if one of the main reasons is we just don't slow down enough to actually enjoy it. To actually be with Jesus. And so if nothing else, take a day and just make Jesus your agenda. It's a great line from um, a writer by the name of Walter Brueggemann, who has a little book on the Sabbath, and he writes that people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. And the reality is that when you do this on a weekly basis, it doesn't just change one day of your week, it changes your whole week. It changes your whole life. As you start to live an awareness to an intimacy with the God who made you, as the life of Jesus starts to just infiltrate your body and your soul, that is the life that Jesus has on offer. That is the life that Jesus has for all of you. So slow down and actually enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.